Hello and welcome to Watch It Baptist Church Online. My name's Mike, I'm the pastor at WBC and you join us for the start of a new sequence in our online teaching. We're going to be looking at mission for the next few sessions. And we're going to start by looking at John chapter 20 in just a few moments time. This series is going to have every part being a different title, but every title starts with the word be. So be this, be that. Uh, and we'll be looking at different things as we go through. Uh, at the end of this particular session, there's a poem that I'm going to be reading as well. Uh, and we're going to just take the time over the next few sessions to think about not just what mission is, but how it works and how God understands it to work. We're going to look at different things that the Bible says that helps us understand what mission is and how we might put it into practice. We're going to be looking at some of the ways in which mission is done in the church, but also uh, some of the ways in which mission can be understood or described by those who have studied it. Again, looking from biblical principles at how we do that. So I'm going to be reading from John 20 in just a moment. But first of all, we're going to pray. Lord Jesus, we put ourselves in your hands, really aware that mission is so important to you. And so we want it to be important to us too. Help us to recognise your heart on this subject and look for ways in which you are challenging us or asking us to change. Help us to be courageous enough to take risks because our faith in you is big enough that we can do that. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, I'm reading from John 20, and I'm reading verses 19 to 23. This is the chapter that starts with the resurrection, but this is from a little bit later in the story. On the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Okay, so we're going to have a think about uh, these verses and what they mean in terms of understanding what mission is. A couple of things I want to point out. First is that this, we believe, is John's equivalent to Luke's telling in the story of Acts about how the Holy Spirit is given to the disciples. It's also the kind of um, John Gospel according to the Matthew bit where he commissions them to go and make disciples of all nations. We're in John because we're going to focus particularly on that verse 21 where it says again Jesus said peace be with you as the Father has sent me I am sending you and then he breathes on them and that's the Holy Spirit arriving on them. So this is the first 
in our series looking at mission. And I said every part is going to be a, a B uh, subject, and this is B sent. So what we're really looking at here is the idea that the Father sends the Son and the Son sends us. So the Father sends Jesus and Jesus sends us and he sends us into a world that needs to know who the Father is and needs to know what Jesus offers. And that means that to be a disciple is to be sent. We can't be disciples unless we're willing to be sent and that means really we can't be disciples unless we are willing to come under someone else's authority. We are the sent ones, not the sending ones. It's not our mission. We are part of it because we have been sent. So let me hit you a question. If you know Jesus, that's part of your reality, part of your experience and the way you live. Are you really, really up for this Jesus thing? How far are you in? I remember a, a stand-up comic some years ago having a lot of fun with the idea that when you go into a supermarket, until you get to the checkout, you're just moving stuff around. And I wonder sometimes with us uh, in churches as disciples, whether sometimes that can be a little bit what we're like. Are we, are we going through our, our Bibles? Are we going through our prayer times? Are we going through our conversations in smaller gatherings, picking up things that we look of, but never actually taking them anywhere? never actually making it through the checkout and out back through the doors into the world. Do you like the idea of faith but don't live in it? You may have heard before the description of the impala in captivity. You know the impala, if I've understood this right, the impala can jump, leap really high and really far. It can bound, like in the antelope family, it can bound from one spot to the next a long way, metres at a time, and over a great height as well. And yet, if you put an impala behind a wall, even if it's a wall that's lower than how high it can jump, it won't jump it because it can't see where it's going to land. And so it becomes trapped. Trapped not because it can't make that leap, but because it's not willing to go somewhere unless it knows what the landing is going to be like. Maybe that's a little bit about how you are with mission. I'll leave that with you and I'll ask another question. Why did Jesus come? A, a big important question goes straight in with the hard stuff. Why did Jesus come? Now you could say he came to die on the cross as a sacrifice and that would be true. You could say he came to set an example uh, to teach us how to be human. That would be true. You could say he came to overcome death and sin through his resurrection and that would be true. You could say he came to defeat evil and darkness and to lead us into a new and fulfilled life. And if you're a fan of John 10 like I am you would definitely want to go with that one and that would be true too. You could say Jesus came to invite us to be part of his family and that would be true and you could say he came to restore our relationship with God the Father. They are all true accurate answers. But really, they're an answer to a different question. And that question is, what did he come to do? If instead you focus on the why did he come, I think you get a slightly different answer. And I believe that an important part of that answer is this. Jesus came because he was sent. He became because the Father sent Jesus. Jesus was obedient and went where he was sent. This is really important 
as we look at the passage that we're looking at today. Now, I'm always on about context, and we're going to say here that we need to know our context of this passage, not just historically, but in a literary way as well. Where does this passage fit in the story that John, the author, is writing? The context of a passage then includes where it comes from. And here at the end of John's Gospel, Jesus says he was sent. We know Jesus was sent because he tells us he was many times on the way through John's Gospel. I'm going to just refer to a handful of those. So in chapter 5, verse 36, he says, I have a testimony weightier than that of John for the works that the Father has given me to finish, the works I am doing, testify that the Father has sent me. John 7, 29 says, but I know him, that's the Father, because I am from him and he sent me. 8.42 says, Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me, for I have come here from God. I have not come on my own. God sent me. And then John 10.36, what about the one whom the Father set apart as his very own and sent into the world? Why do you accuse me of blasphemy? Because I said I am God's son. And 13.20, very truly, I tell you, whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me and whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me finally 2021 just after the passage that we've read chapter 2021 says uh, again jesus said peace be with you as the father has sent me i am sending you jesus says over and over again in john's gospel that he was sent and all this is part of the context of what we're reading in this session that context also includes the beginning of john's gospel where he says in the beginning was the word which is Jesus, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And that same word, Jesus, through him all things were made, and he, the word, Jesus, came into the world. And then in verse 14, the word who was with God in the beginning became flesh, became humanity, and dwelt among us. Other translations say he lived among us, or made his dwelling among us, or moved into the neighbourhood. He made himself at home as a human being and he made himself at home where people were in their humanity, alongside their humanity. And that same Jesus, the Gospel writer John, knows that Jesus is God who was sent to make his home among us. Jesus was sent. With me so far? Let's carry on. This echoes what we know about what God is like from elsewhere. So we go out of John's Gospel and we look at Matthew 1, where Jesus is referred to as Emmanuel, which means God is with us. So he can't be with us unless he's been sent to be with us. In Matthew 28, Jesus says, I am with you always. And in Revelation 21, the voice from heaven says, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and will be their God. Looking all the way back to the Old Testament. In Exodus, Moses pleads with God not to send them anywhere unless God goes with them. Being with is a defining characteristic of God. And when Jesus comes, he comes to be with his people. God's whole life and action and purpose are shaped to be with us. And Jesus was sent by the Father to be with us. He was sent to be with us in our humanity so that he could bring us back to the Father. And he could not have done that unless he was with us. He had to be human to do it. He had to die as a sacrifice for sin, to take our sin on himself. And we need Jesus to have been sent. Without, without Jesus being sent, our slavery would be unending, our slavery to sin 
our slavery to death, our, our being bound to those things would never end. We are freed from those things, from that slavery to sin and death by Jesus' sacrifice and his resurrection because he was sent. And Jesus knew he was sent and he turns to his disciples and says, so are you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And you are sent too. Jesus says, I am the one doing the sending this time. The Father sent me to be with the world. And now I am sending you to be with the world. The message is simple. To be disciples means to be sent. For you and I to be a disciple, we need to be sent. We are not disciples unless we accept that we are sent. We cannot follow Jesus without accepting that Jesus sends us. As I said before, this is echoed in Matthew 28 as well. Let's pop back into Luke 6. I know we're doing a lot of skipping around the Bible, but I want us to really understand this idea. In Luke 6, Jesus says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not, do not do what I say? We cannot be followers of Jesus unless we accept that we are sent. As the Father sent me, said Jesus, so I am sending you. There is something incredibly important and powerful about the act, about the willingness to go where we are asked to go. I think I've told this story before. There's a Francis Chan story, and he talks about the difference between um, agreement and obedience. We have a lot of agreement in our discipleship. Actually, what we're called to do is, obey, is be obedient to obey. So the story goes like this. Francis Chan asks his 14-year-old daughter if she will clean her room. And because he's asked her, he's expecting her to clean her room. Now, what she could do is say, yes, I agree. My room does need cleaning. Let me gather some friends around me and we'll discuss what it would look like for my room to be clean. Let's have a conversation. Let's, let's work through what room cleanliness is actually about. Let's Let's dig into the philosophical reality of a clean room. Now, Francis Chan's daughter could do that all day long, but until she actually cleans her room, she's not being obedient, she's just agreeing, or discussing agreeing, or discussing what it would be like to be obedient. Jesus says, as the Father sent me, so I am sending you. He's not asking for us to agree that being sent is a good idea. He's telling us, He's sending us. And the church cannot fulfil its purpose without recognising that it needs to be made up of people who are actually sent, sent to a world that needs Jesus. And we know the world needs Jesus. We aren't commissioned to send others. It's not about, well, it's not just about being a support network for overseas missionaries. That is important, but that's not the whole of the story. It's not even about being a support network for missionaries in our own country although that can be important too. Jesus is the sent one, and he says his disciples are to be sent ones too. And that leads us to some important questions. Why are we sent? Where are we sent? Why are we sent to the places we are sent to? Now, we're not going to be able to answer all those questions at one go, but we will be looking at some of these over the next few sessions. 
and particularly be thinking about them in our smaller gatherings. Jesus said we're sent people and if we are sent people then the church is not home. It's the place that we're sent from. It's the community that we're sent from. It's our equipping but it's not our home. It's a place that supports our role as being sent but it's not home. I believe that church is more like a, uh, a fortress or a tower on the front line. A tower that's a place of prayer and a place for rest and a place for equipping. And it should be a stronghold and a refueling station as well. But it should always remain a workshop for the front line and not a home. The church is part of our being sent. It's not a place for us to put down roots, not least because disciples of Jesus don't put roots in any place we only put down roots in a person and that person is Jesus T.S. Eliot wrote this the greatest proof of Christianity for others is not how far a man can logically analyze his reasons for believing but how far in practice he will stake his life on his belief the world needs us to be with Jesus was sent to be with and given the name that means God is with us. And then he said, as the Father sent me, so I'm sending you. So he is expecting us to echo the way in which he was sent. To make disciples, to be with the world, to proclaim the kingdom, to tell the story, to be like Jesus, to show the love he showed. I read a quote about this in a, in a Bible commentary on John's Gospel that says this. It's by Bruce Mill. It says this. The one, the one mission of God, one mission has two phases. The first phase, that of the Son in his incarnate life, so Jesus, God as humanity. The second, that of the Son in his risen life, through his people. We are sent people. And I actually think that's kind of exciting. Not least because Jesus thinks we are up to it. The one who sends us believe we can represent him. The challenges come when we choose not to be sent. Alan Hirsch is an Australian teacher and church leader who's written a lot about mission. He wrote that being committed to mission means following the pattern of what God has done in Jesus. He wrote this. In the incarnation, that's in Jesus being human. In the incarnation, God sent his son. Similarly, to be missional means to be sent into the world. We do not expect people to come to us. This posture differentiates a missional church from an attractional church. I'm going to read that quote again. In the incarnation, God sent his son. Similarly, to be missional means to be sent into the world. We do not expect people to come to us. And we know from Jesus that he didn't expect us to come to us, um, us to come to him. He came to us. So I've interrupted my own quote. We do not expect people to come to us. This posture differentiates a missional church from an attractional church. That's the end of the quote. If we are an attractional church, we're expecting people to come to us. We line things up so we make it easy for us. We make it easy for us by expecting others to find their way to where we are. A missional church doesn't do that. A missional church recognises that it is sent. And so all of its missional posture is based on how it goes and where it goes. From this, we might see that when we ask people to come to us, when we try to attract them out of their cultural normality and into our subcultural normality, then we're not being sent. Instead, we're extracting people from where God has put them 
it's almost as if we're inviting people to abandon their post. It seems odd, doesn't it, to have a God who sends us and places us and then we recognise that God sends and places others, even those who don't yet know him, and then say, come out of that place where God has put, put you so that we can make you part of our church. I'm going to give you another Alan Hirsch quote. The process of extracting people from the culture and assimilating them into the church diminishes their ability to speak to those outside. People cease to be missional and instead leave that work to the clergy. And he says clergy, but we might just as easily say leaders or evangelists or experts or even deacons. Jesus doesn't send deacons or experts, he sends all of us. When you extract people from the culture and assimilate them into the church, they stop being able, they diminish, we diminish their ability to speak into the culture where they live, the culture that they know, the people who surround them. Because we take them out of that situation and say, come and be part of our culture in the church. And then as soon as you do that, you need to send somebody else in to the place you've already left. And so you ask the deacons or the experts or the clergy to do it. Jesus sends all of us to be shining like lights on a stand unhidden, to be visible like a city on a hill. Perhaps we might say that the church should be like a ship. It, it brings cargo, which is good news. And not every ship is the same. Some are bigger than others. And, and while they come, they lay to go. Those cargo ships off the coast that watch it in Blue Anchor, they live on the sea, but they belong by the land. If a boat, if a ship and its cargo and crew never reach the shore, then it is useless. And yes, smaller boats might be needed to ferry stuff to and fro. Let's not get carried away with, with stretching the metaphor to its full extent. But cargo and the crew are all involved in a process that's about reaching the shore. The ship isn't home. And the cargo doesn't belong to the crew but to the owner. Sometimes at Watch It you'll see a ship waiting in the channel, parked up in Blue Anchor Bay. And it may look interesting, sometimes they stay there for a long time, but it does nothing and means nothing in the context of the town unless crew and cargo reach the town. Wouldn't it be rubbish if we as a church were like that ship? So, so much in our subculture, so much belonging to a community of church, that actually we have no use to the land at all. We have no use to the culture to which Jesus was sent and where he now sends us. Now what stops us from being sent? Maybe, maybe it's a need for security. Let's not forget that impala. It can't see where it's going to land so it won't jump. The thing is, we don't demand security before we allow ourselves to be sent. Otherwise, we're the guy, the, the New Testament guy in the parable Jesus tells about building bigger barns. I will just pile up more and more security and certainty. I'll get to the point where actually if it all goes wrong, um, then I'll be safe, um, even if God doesn't pull through for me. And we don't want to be that. That's, that's the opposite of what Jesus is saying that a disciple should be. We, we need to trust God. We need to work with others. We need to talk about the Jesus who sends you and then get involved in a smaller gathering which exists to encourage and support each other to do that being sent stuff so that you might do some of that being sent together so that perhaps sometimes everybody stops worrying about their own being sent to help the individual to make a breakthrough in their 
set of circumstances. Or perhaps the group says, right, we, we're going we're gonna to just back each other up with a first target. And we're going to stick with that first target until all of us have got to our first target before we set a second one. If you're not quite sure what I'm getting at, maybe find me an email or ask me a question a bit later. Like I said, let's not be like the Impala. Don't only step out when you can already see it's safe. I think one of the biggest and most important questions for us is this. Where is God sending me? Or even, where has God already sent me? Is there any one way to find out? That's to listen. And once you listen and you've heard, or even if you just think you might have heard, to tell somebody what you think you're hearing, the challenge is to listen and then to be sent. I wanted to read a poem about this idea of being sent. You are a lighthouse. You are a guide, repeating the light. You are unmissable, unmistakable, and you are mine. You are the tree on top of a lonely hill, the traffic light on a high pole, the angel of the north for the motorway traveller. You are the spinnaker tower by the water and the pillar box by the village green. You are not to blend in. You are to stand tall and noticeable where you are, where I have placed you, where I have chosen you to be. Because I have sent you and I didn't send you by accident. This is your place. This is the place I have put you. You are where you are by my hand. And I did not send you to go unnoticed. The pillar box is everyday and ordinary and it goes unnoticed from day to day, but it is not camouflaged. It does not hide. It will not be obscured or screened. The traffic light on the high pole shines its light day and night, calling on, warning and stopping those who would race by. The tree on the hill calls to passers-by, inspires the walker to climb and see. The angel of the north spreads its wings in greeting to every traveller. The spinnaker watches the passing ships and echoes the shape of each wind-blown sail. You are not to blend in. Repeat the light. You are to call out, to greet, to inspire, to echo every voyager, to call on and warn and invite to pause. This is what you are to do. Be sent, be placed, be present. This is what you are to do. Okay, I'm going to pray and then we're going to ask three questions. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you were obedient as you were sent by your Father. Help us to be obedient as you send us. Help us to have courage to go and to be where you are sending us. Amen. Question one. If we are to be sent, if we're to go where people are rather than expecting them to come to us, where might we go? Maybe you feel you already know where you are supposed to be and you're there. That's great. Maybe share that with the group if you're in a group. Where might you be sent? If your home isn't the church, but the church is just a place for equipping. What's it equipping you for? Where are you being sent? Question two. It's a bit of a soul-searching question, this. 
Who do you outsource mission to? Now, in asking that question, I'm making an assumption that's something that you do, and it may be that's not fair. And I'm certainly not looking to accuse anybody, but I think it's helpful for us to be a bit reflective. I know that over the years in churches that I've been, there's often been a, a thinking that, well, we, we support these overseas missionaries or, or this um, domestic uh, evangelistic programme. And so that's mission. We've got it covered. I think we need to be aware that sometimes we do that. In what ways do we support others to do mission? And then perhaps to look at how they do it and say, how do we echo that intentional approach in how we do mission where we are? Thirdly, put yourself in a position of that impala in captivity with a wall in front of it. And you know, maybe the Impala doesn't, but you know it could clear that wall and it could land the other side. I want you to have a little think, what's the wall for you? What's the thing that's in front of you that stops you from making that leap? Is it fear? And if it is fear, what's it a fear of? If it's being unequipped, how do you need to be equipped? If it's a sense of not being good enough. Where does that idea come from? And what does God have to say about that? What's the wall in front of you that stops you from stepping out in courage and faith? Okay, that's the end of our session this time. Next time we're going to look at a second B. This one is going to be be his. I look forward to sharing that with you next time. Take care and God bless.